How's everyone going? It's been a good, it's, I think it's been a pretty um, targeted sort of theme Sunday. You see this life and this faithfulness idea coming out, which is good for me, having prepared a sermon around those kind of lines. How was Easter's? Cool? Easter? New life? Easter? Good? Good time off? That's good. Good. I just want to start this morning, um, just as we, before we talk about an ancient true story, I want to start uh, with a modern true story. Modern by comparison, I suppose, because this story is set in, in uh, Georgia, in the United States, in about 1940, the 1940s. There was a man there. His name was Clarence Jordan, and he was a smart dude. He was a very committed dude. He had earned two PhDs. He had one PhD in agriculture, and he had another PhD in Greek and Hebrew. In fact, his friends used to say that he only had a Greek Bible. He just used to read Greek, and that was his Bible. He used to translate it as he went. He's a very smart and committed guy, and he could have probably had any sort of career that he wanted to. But he chose to... Uh, found a farming community for poor people, like really, really poor people that couldn't house themselves, couldn't feed themselves. He didn't care who came to this community. This community was set up for poor black people and it was set up for poor white people. Now, because it was the Deep South in the 1940s, segregation laws sort of in place, this didn't go down too well with the, the town that this farm was part of. And the townsfolk sort of boycotted his services. They would slash the farm vehicle tyres. Um, uh, if, if, if they saw them coming into town to pick up supplies and whatever, they'd give the workers a hard time. A lot of abuse came their way. Um, this is not only from just the general people, but a lot of churchgoers as well that adhered to this, these segregation laws. Anyway, this went on, this sort of persecution, just general sort of persecution from the town went on for about 14 or 15 years until in 1954, I think it was, um, the Ku Klux Klan decided to drive him out of town for good. So they came stampeding into the farm one night, a dark night, and they came in with their burning crosses and their white robes and torches and guns and clubs and whatever else, and they... They set fire to all the crops, they set fire to all the farm buildings, all the houses of every, all the poor, desperately poor people living there. And so many of the families that night just fled, just got, got out and left. And they burnt all the buildings down except one, Clarence Jordan's family home, which they riddled with bullets. And through the yelling and the screaming and the taunts and the abuse that was yelled that night, Clarence recognised so many of the voices of people that he knew in the town. They were prominent businessmen, they were churchgoers that he shared pews with in churches, church on a Sunday. They were, um, well, one of even note was the local news reporter. So this news reporter came out the very next day fishing for a story and he finds Clarence back out in the fields, redigging the fields, replanting the crops that had been burnt down. And there's buildings all around, smouldering ruins. He comes over to Clarence. And he said, I heard the awful news. And I came to do a story on your farm closing. And there was no response from Clarence. 
And he's reported, goes on. He's like, awful shame what happened. Clarence continued to ignore him. Reporter went on and on, poking and prodding, trying to get a rise out of Clarence, trying to get something that he can make a news story out of. And in the end, he just says, well, Dr. Jordan, you've got two PhDs. You could have done anything you wanted in life. And you've sunk 14 years into this place. And what have you got to show for it? You're not very successful, are you? And Clarence just stopped what he was doing, turned to the reporter, looked him directly in the eyes and said, about as successful as the cross, sir. So you don't understand us. We're not about apparent success. We're about faithfulness. We're staying. Good day. So he went back to doing what he was doing. The news reporter left. And Koinonia Farm... That place, that farming community for the poor people is still in operation today. Still going. Still with its same mission. Feeding, housing, really desperately poor people. Blacks and whites. That's awesome, isn't it? What a, what a cool story. Isn't it awesome, man, when you hear a story of someone who is just faithful to a cause and they stick it out. Isn't that good? Gets you... It's a good feeling. We love those stories. But real, full faithfulness, it always comes at a cost. Hey, there's always a heavy cost to pay for true faithfulness. You think about anything that you want to stay faithful to and there is a cost attached to it. Like, what does it cost you to remain faithful to your spouse? What does it cost you to remain faithful to God? What does it cost you to remain faithful to anything that you've pledged yourself to? Like to, For Clarence Jordan, remaining faithful to him was, what did it cost him? The safety of his family, the fear of losing his land, the fear of maybe the deaths of his friends, persecution. That's what it cost him. So I want us this morning to think about this idea of what it costs us to remain faithful and what comes from that faithfulness. Okay, because you know, when, you think, when we think about costs of things, it's, it's a really heavy question to ask. Like, what does it cost you to remain faithful to something? Because in our culture, in our, in our culture today, like the, it's anti that. It's, um, you know, life is short. Like the idea comes across to us like life is short. Like anything that you're invested in, it better be giving you like maximum reward or man, you just better ditch it and move on. Like, you probably see this idea coming out in, in yourself when you sit for longer than three minutes and you immediately pull your phone out to be entertained for, you know, well, maybe not even three minutes, maybe three seconds. You know, that micro-boredom thing? Quickly pull your phone out and you're looking at stuff. And, you know, Netflix has been the order of the day and I'm going to use it in my life. Like, I'm going to use this example from me because Netflix has made me a fickle movie watcher. Amen from the wifey. Because I, I, if I'm not fully engaged, if I choose something to watch, I'm not fully engaged in five minutes, I just ditch it and choose something else. I'm terrible. I do not ha- I'm not very faithful with Titan or you know, what was the other movie? Salvation or wh- whatever, you know? I'm not very... If it doesn't get me in the first five minutes, I'm gone. And culture, like a wider culture, you can see this idea coming out in the way, you know, the massive uptake of like, you know, sex hookup apps. 
and different things like that, where at the swipe of your finger, you can just find you know, thousands of people just willing to just hook up for no reason, you know, for nothing more than purely for sex. It's just sex without the strings. And we see this also in you know, bank loans for crazy things, um, niceties, big toys, things like that. We, the, in the world, we have this idea that we need to be getting maximum pleasure now. Everything must come now, now, now. I don't want to work with it, work for it. I don't want to wait for it. I just need the reward now. That's our culture. So we've got these two opposing views. Hey, we've got God's view of what reward is, and we've got the world's view of what reward is. So let's, uh, let's gouge out a few chunks from God's word, and let's weigh up these two views and, find, and work out whether this idea of being faithful to the end is indeed really worth it. And let's discover what this true, like what brings true life. So, mega series, mega series update. Hmm. Where are we at so far? First few frames of every Phantom comic is, you know, those four frames that sort of catch you up with the story. You know, and, it, and it always has, was anyone a Phantom comic fan? Probably not. Yes, yes, yes. You know, for those who came in late. Yeah. Anyway, what's happening in our mega series so far? God's created. Man sinned. Generations have gotten worse and worse and worse. In the end, God chooses to wipe the slate clean, almost. There's, except for this one family who he saves, okay? The, uh, the, the fountains of the deep have burst open, the heavens have opened, the planet is deluged. Yet, who's kept safe in his boat? Noah, his wife, his three sons, their wives, and breeding pairs of every kind of animal. Yeah? And that's where it is. So we get to this point where in Genesis chapter 7, it says, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He, that's God, blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. So this earth of old, the originally created world, is washed away and it is reborn through Water. Have you ever noticed like the, the similarities and well the real weight actually of what God has accomplished through the flood? Like what's he done? He's effectively recreated or like re-lifed earth, hasn't he? he? Because there's a few little things that link this whole flood story to the creation, the original creation story. And there's a few little points that sort of link the two. So let's go through them and we'll work out the magnitude of what God has done through this relifing, this recreating of earth. First point. We see at the start in the creation, God created, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was about form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the what was over the face of the waters? Spirit of God was over the face of the waters. What's the, the word that the Hebrews use for that word spirit is the word ruach. Okay, that's original creation. We read in verse 1 here of chapter 8, but God remembered Noah, so God turns his attention back to Noah and his family and those, the animals that are with him in the ark. God remembered Noah and the beasts that were with him in the ark and God made a wind. Same word, that ruach 
is used here to describe this wind that moves over the waters. All right? So there's this God's spirit, breath, wind moving over the waters, tying the two stories together. All right? Something big's about to happen here. It's like, hold your breath. What's, gonna, what's God going to do? So we see that. as a, That's our first link between the two. And next then we see this spirit of God, God's purpose, his, creation, his creative order, like bringing, bringing order from the chaos and he's preparing the place for life again because we see land coming up out of the water. So let's look in, in chapter 2 of Genesis 8. Sorry, verse 2 of Genesis chapter 8. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed and the rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated, and in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, and the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the deep. So we see this idea of of water being pushed aside, away from the land, just as in Genesis, uh, where? Chapter 1. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, let the dry land appear. So here we go. Here's this other link between these two stories. The waters is getting dragged away from the dry land and this life-giving land is coming out. Third link that joins these two stories, this recreation with the original creation. Noah here is sort of established as like a new er kind of Adam. Because you know, like God's sort of taken Noah and he's used him as a reference point. Because what year does he say the flood starts? Does he say it's so many... 1,400 years after creation or anything? No, he says it started in the 600th year of Noah's life and it finished in the 601st year of Noah's life. Noah's, Noah is sort of put by God here as this reference point. He's like the new beginning kind of here. And you, me, all of us, we've all got Noah's genetic line in us somehow, don't we? Don't we? He's like, we've all got Adam's as well because Noah and Mrs. Noah, they all came from Adam and Eve. But, we've, but we're all, he's, he's kind of like this set up as this new father of humanity, like a newer Adam. He's not the new Adam. That title's reserved for Jesus. But he's like a newer kind of Adam. Once again, mirroring the two stories. And then finally, we see that Noah and all the animals, when they exit this like massive like football stadium-sized life raft, because that's what it is, okay? It's not like a little tinny sitting low in the water with like an elephant out this side and like a giraffe out this side and like a rat on the roof, okay? That's not what the ark was. It's a massive boat, all right? Even, even by today's standards, it's a huge boat, big life raft, okay? When they exit this, they're told, they're recommanded, that original commandment that was told Adam and Eve and the original creatures. What was it? Be... Fruitful, multiply, you know, fill the earth, team over it, go out into all the earth. And no, wait, that's the Great Commission. That's a, oh, that's a good link. That might be another sermon another time. 
but they go out into the world and fill it, aren't they? That's what they're told. So, we see that Noah, he's, he's, he's sort of set up as this newer kind of Adam. He's like the new father for humanity. Like, earth is like recreated, re-lifed through him. Man, what a responsibility. What a massive responsibility. What a massive privilege to be used in that way. That's cool, hey? Like, that's, that's massive. So, I think it's important for us to stop collaborate and listen, no, pause and consider why it is that God chose Noah. Why did God choose Noah for this task? Why out of all the people on the earth did God choose Noah and his family to be instruments really that would, he would use to refill the earth? Why? Exactly, exactly. It wasn't some like arbitrary decision with God sitting up there going, hmm, eeny, meeny, miny, no, no, that's not how he did it, okay? Noah, he had faith, he was favour in God's eyes. Noah found favour in God's eyes because he walked humbly. We know he walked with God. This is that going back to, you know, where we what we looked at with Enoch a few weeks ago. He walked with God in a crazy, sinful world. That's why he was chosen for this task. So, Noah, just despite everything in this weird, crazy, sinful world before the flood, was walking with God in obedience to him, even building this big, crazy boat where no one even probably even knew of rain or floods or probably even what an ocean was. Spent ages building this thing. He was, he obeyed God and he honoured God in the callings of his, on his life. He honoured God in his conduct, in the way that he was preaching about the, the coming judgment. Come onto the boat with me. And this is that image of walking with God. Being like, and Noah here, being, uh, being faithful to God, then. It was Noah, that's how Noah opened himself to God, oriented himself toward God. This is like harkening back to a couple of Adrian's sermons a couple of years ago now, isn't it? Open, orient, um, can't remember the other right words. But anyway, but this is Noah laying himself down. He's laying himself down, setting himself up to, by, by laying himself down as a tool that God will joy to pick up and use for his purposes, okay? Because he's being faithful to God. So here's where I want to sort of draw a bit of life application from us. So I want this story of Noah to sit over us like a life raft and we can hug it and hang on to it and sort of get some application from. Let's talk about life because Noah, he's, this, he's like this new sort of father of life, to bring re-life this planet, like bring a new beginning here. So it fills this, life, this planet with life again that we've talked about so much in Prayer and Share. So what is real, full life? What is real, full life? Like, you know, full, fully oxygenated, you know, 110% life. That's right, 110% life. This is not like, it's not the world's view 
of full life. Like the world's view of full life is you know, cheesy white smiles, $100 notes, and uh, private jets. Or waking up with bleary eyes, talking about um, you know, what, how, how smashed you got the night before and what a crack of a party it was. Or you know, the world's view of a full life might be you know, some businessman who drives his body into the ground working such ridiculous hours and leaves behind a massive bank balance. It's not that. And full life is not just sort of eking out like little meager streams of joy out of the rock face of life from just fickle sort of entertainment like TVs and movies or anything. That's, that's not full life. Is it? You will know this. <laughs> full, not, full life, this full life comes from being faithful, living in faithfulness towards God. Like... If you want an example of this, just think about what life would look like if we lived like this Noah life. Like, if you spent your whole life embracing what God desired most from you and you were faithful in pursuing that to the end, what, what would it look like? What would it, what would it look like? Oh, yeah. Exactly. If, imagine... Imagine if, if we lived that Noah's life. Imagine the new life that would come flooding into this church. Imagine the new life that would come flowing into like, your friend circles, your workplaces, your families, your, your neighbourhood street, your workplaces. If we lived this really faithful, God-honouring life. Because see, the source of this new life is the Holy Spirit flowing through us. It was, as we live in faithfulness to God, that is made possible by Jesus' death, Jesus' life-giving death. No, that's cool. Jesus' life-giving death. Because you look at the new life that sort of came out from around the faithfulness that Clarence Jordan had. All right? He was faithful in setting up this farming community. His desperately poor families then had a roof over their heads and they had food to eat. Their families didn't have to starve through you know, terrible economic times. Okay? The life that came out from one man's faithfulness. And I think maybe it's, even, maybe it's even relevant in our own little circles to just publicly honour Big Al and Marjorie for the work that they've done in Teen Challenge. You know, look at the new life that comes out of that organisation. Firstly, the new life from guys being freed from like addictions, but then even ultimate true full life when there's these guys who didn't know Jesus but now do know Jesus. See the, see the life that comes from, a, from faithful living? When someone lives in faithfulness and they, they obey God and they do what seems to the world crazy things, build an ark, you know, go up against the Ku Klux Klan, when they do these crazy things but they're faithful to God, new life comes out of it. See, the world standard, they, they look at like, Maybe some missionary who like, lives off in some like, flea-bitten, dust-bowl, kind of back-blocks-of-nowhere kind of country, long-forgotten place, and the world would look at it and go, why would you go and spend your life there? That's, that's a wasted life. But God would see that as bringing life, as, as his darkness, sorry, as his light floods into that darkness. So... In order for us to be used in, in spreading new life, we need, we need to live a life of faithfulness to God. And we need to count the cost 
of living in faithfulness to God. This is the big bit. Like this is what we meant to, you know, this is what I asked you to start thinking about at the start of the sermon. Like what is the cost of living a faithful life? The cost. What was the, what was the cost of Noah to remain faithful? A bit of ridicule. Hey man, what's this? What'd you call this thing? You've spent, you've spent years building this thing. What would you call it again? A, a boat? Imagine the ridicule that he copped. That was the cost of faithfulness. What was the cost of faithfulness for Clarence Jordan? You know, losing everything. Hey man, the Ku Klux Klan's going to come in and shoot your joint up. And burn everything down. That's the cost of faithfulness. So what's your cost to remain faithful to things that God's called you in your life? What is, your, what is the cost? Now, music team. talking to you, all right? What is the cost for you guys to remain faithful in bringing worship music, leading us in worship, coming up with songs, you know, putting yourself up here, you know, trying to get, you know, hold on to those nerves. Maybe you don't want to be here. You've had an argument with someone the morning before. You wander Sunday morning sleep in. You didn't want to practice on Wednesday, Thursday night or whatever. That's the cost. But is it worth it to bring life to this church? Is it worth it to bring life to this church? Because let me tell you, you guys do bring life to this church. Since you've been getting on board and you've been doing this whole, you know, getting together and doing the unity thing, man, it has brought so many laughs, smiles, tears, joy to people in this church. You guys do a great job. You're using your talents. It's fantastic. It's worth the cost. And what does it cost, or all of us, what does it cost us to be here every Sunday and encouraging our brothers and sisters? Is it worth it to bring life to our brothers and sisters by being here, encouraging one another? Is it worth it to give up our sleep-ins? Is it worth it to give in, oh, just our skip Sunday? Is it worth it? That's the cost. Is it worth the cost? Think about these things. The cost of faithfulness to bring life. And parents, whose parents, like, like lots of us are parents here, especially probably young parents because this is sort of my stage in life and I just think in, along these lines a little bit. So I'm sorry if a lot of you older guys have moved on and you're more mature than me. And, but um, what is the cost to remain faithful in being a godly parent? You know, putting yourself down away, putting, you know, pu- bottle, you know, pushing the selfishness away, being engaged in your kids' lives. What, what is the cost to be a godly parent? And is it worth it then to see your children be presented with real life through Jesus? Is it worth it? Is it worth the cost? And what is it worth, you know, for those of us, you know, is it worth the cost, sorry, what does it cost to talk to Jesus, talk about other people, talk to other people about Jesus? Bit of awkwardness, is that what it costs? Maybe the end of a friendship? Is that what it costs? But is it worth it to potentially point that person towards Jesus and real life? And what's it worth to be, what does it cost you to help out with street teams? A bit of a Sunday morning, sorry, a Saturday morning, a few hours of your Saturday morning, a bit of mower fuel. Is it worth it to come along and help? 
a few sore muscles maybe, is it worth it to come along and help to bring new life to our neighbours, to point them towards real, real hands and feet love of Jesus in service towards them? Is it worth that? And what does it cost you to remain faithful in giving? Is it worth it, you know, to bring new life into funding different things, God's work, funding our missionary friends? Is it worth it? It's what I want you guys to think about. Think about what is the cost to remain faithful to the end? What is the cost? Is it, is it worth it to claim your best life, your best life being life forever with Jesus Christ our Lord? Is it worth it to remain faithful to the end, to gain life, real life? Remain faithful. I just want you to think, just remain faithful and bring life.